I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, it is the best-selling author, Jeff Perlman. And he is here regarding his new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. And in this podcast, uh, Jeff and I discuss why he wanted to write this book, how to promote a book. He's always very, very interesting in terms of the creative ways that he gets the word out and I think that's uh, if you're ever interested in writing a book or uh, quite frankly even promoting anything regarding media he's uh, he's always interesting when it comes to how he does that um, and then just getting into this process of it, it, it Jeff had 700 interviews as you'll hear how you actually figure out how to use all those interviews to come up with a uh, come up with some kind of narrative and some kind of structure to write the book talks a little bit about obviously Bo's career and what he thinks uh, Bo's greatest year was and it's an interesting exploration into obviously one of the you know truly uh, maybe mythological is not the right word but truly you know notable sports figures in the last 30 plus years so Jeff Perlman on Bo Jackson coming up on the sports media podcast all right as I said at the top I bring in Jeff Perlman the uh, multiple-time best-selling author, a colleague of mine at Sports Illustrated, uh, someone in, who I've known for a very, very long time and have great respect for. He he would be in my top 10, honestly, of people who just truly love like sports writing or sports journalism, however you sort of want to fit that in there. Like He's a, he's a true believer here, but quite frankly, far more of a true believer than I am. He's here uh, to promote his book, The Last Folk Hero, the Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Um, it's well worth the read. He really put his heart and soul into this book. And, uh, you know, Bo Jackson is really, um, you know, I know it's cliche, but he's like Paul Bunyan in sports. He's like, he's a mythical figure, but like where the mythology and reality, like they kind of coexist a lot of times and it makes them very interesting. And I'm pleased to be joined by Jeff Perlman. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Oh, man. Thank you. Honestly, so much. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. All right. Before we get into the book and before we get into all our little pleasantries, Jeff, Yeah, I have never seen anyone push books harder than you. And I say that admirably. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really like about you, uh, Jamel Hill was on this podcast uh, a couple of days ago as well. Uh, and um, she is incredibly honest about this, too. You know, you should ask her a question like, you know, why'd you do a memoir. Well, I did it for the money. They yeah. were offering me a lot of money to do it. And you're very honest, like when I talk to you about, well, Jeff, like, how do you approach book promotion? And you're like, I'm going to talk to literally every person on earth who wants to talk to me about this book. So let's start here. Like, do you have a game plan when it comes to promotion? Or do you really just like, all right, I'm going to contact as many people as I know. I'm going to uh, search out 
like different venues that might be interested in this book? Because you've done some really creative stuff, I feel like, to get the book out there. So people will be interested in this. Like, what's your game plan when it comes to promotion? Okay, I'm going to tell you something. I, no one even knows this. I haven't talked about it. Today is, uh, is today Wednesday or Tuesday? Today's Wednesday. We're taping this on October 26th. Okay. People will be listening to this uh, afterwards, maybe, maybe, maybe five or six days afterwards. Okay. This weekend, I am flying to Alabama. I am doing four book signings that I arranged on my own. I hate doing book signings in that they terrify me. I also, HarperCollins kindly agreed to print up, I think, 5,000, uh, oh my God, why am I having a brain freeze? Postcards with the book and the book information. On the day um, Auburn is hosting Arkansas on Saturday, I will be walking that parking lot, putting postcards in car windows. I love it. I do a part out of just the superstition of I've done that for every book and it's something I do. Yeah, you did that for the Bonds book, right? Did it for every book almost, except okay. except the last one. And um, and I'm going to do it. And I do it part for that reason and part because it's direct marketing to the exact people who would read a Bo Jackson book, Auburn fans in Auburn, Alabama. And I just really am a believer. And this goes back to my dad who wrote a book when I was a kid and was the same way. You can't, you hear so many authors who say the publishing house didn't support me or they didn't blah, blah, blah. It is on you. I have great publicists, but it is on me. And so to answer your question, I'm doing that. I paid, uh, I bought a hundred Bo Jackson Memphis Chicks t-shirts that I hand out in contests I do, promotions. I bought Bo Jackson stickers, uh, Bo Jackson uh, bookmarks, book plates that I sign. I stole this idea from Molly Knight, actually, who did this with her Dodger book several years ago. If you pre-order, send me proof of your pre-order, I will send you a signed book plate that you can put in front of the book two bookmarks and a Bo Jackson sticker. I'll pay for the, I'm paying for the stamps. I'm paying for the envelopes. I'm sitting there in front of my computer on days filling out and you probably get 600, 700 pre-orders just doing that. Wow. I do it because I love this career and I want to keep doing it. And you just have to grind. You have to grind. So that's why I do it. So the the parking lot thing is fascinating me. Hopefully you don't get any tiff, uh, you know, uh, traffic uh, yeah. uh, uh, citations for this. But Will you like, do you leave on like the postcard? Is it like a, an Amazon link to buy it? Like what is, what is the marketing part of that? So the front is the cover, the back are a couple of blurbs from different people. And there's the scan that you can scan in on your phone and goes right to the order page. Uh, it's G QR code. QR code. So you go right uh. to the order page. That's new. I haven't done that before. And I would tell you when I wrote the Walter Payton book, I printed up all these postcards, Soldier Field, but the backlash in Chicago at first was so harsh that my publisher would not send me to Chicago because they were afraid I would, someone would beat me up. I do remember the backlash on that. Yeah. Um, okay. The the book itself, you conducted over 700 interviews for this book. Mm -hmm. That's you most you've ever done. Mm -hmm. There are certainly a lot of media people who listen to this podcast. So you must at some point transcribe these or you pay a transcription service to do it. This is interesting to me. What happens next? Like, how do you how do you go about the process of organizing the interviews? And then I can't even imagine how you use all these interviews and then write the narrative. Like, what what's the process? So you have all this raw stuff. What happens? It's a nightmare. It's a total nightmare. Like, I'm friends with guys like Howard Bryan and Wertheim, who we both know, Jonathan Igg, and they're so meticulous and organized. And I'm like pig pen, right? I... I either transcribe them all or I, you know, I, I paid someone to help transcribe. I transcribe. Yeah, of course. You can't transcribe them all. No. And I am still looking for a, perf a perfect answer for that one if you have one. And um, I print everything out, which I'm not saying is great, but it's how my brain has to work. I print everything out. I put them in folders. So, and they're all in organi organized folders. So, like Macadoria High School, Boa High School is a folder. Bessemer, Alabama, where he grew up, is a folder. Auburn is a folder. And inside those folders, I'll have them chronological. So just guys who played freshman year, guys who played freshman, sophomore, guys who played sophomore, junior, have them in order. 
I'll go through all the folders when I'm about to write that part of the book with a marker, highlight, read everything, write on the front of the folder itself, let's say Lionel James, and I'll write important notes, you know, lived with Bo as sophomore, blah, 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 blah. Then when I'm going through and I'm writing, I'll have these interviews beside me and I'll have notations where to look in the interviews. Meanwhile, I also print out, I don't know, 10,000 pages of articles and I'll have those lined up chronologically, highlighted. Okay, here's the game against Alabama. And it's just, you just do it. And it's, it's hard, but you just do it some way or another. How many, um, you know, obviously this covers Bo's entire life, childhood, uh, professional career, a little bit post-career. Uh, do you have a ballpark estimate of how many people you interviewed who were related to his professional careers in baseball and basketball? Football, you mean? Bo, yeah, basketball. Bo, no, but, not, I mean, Bo, Bo is amazing, basketball. but he, Bo did not uh, play yeah, basketball. Fo- fo- sorry, football and baseball. Uh, I would say if you combine the Royals, the Mem- if you combine Royals, Memphis Chicks, Angels, White Sox, and Raiders, 300. Okay. The reason I'm asking that is because one of the, I think one of the things that you've done about as good as any sports author in the country is you're really good at finding someone who played with great players, like on a pro team, but might've been like the number 26 guy on the roster. Okay. Mm -hmm. The number 25 guy on the roster. Um, and so for this book, you have a lot of potential people on all the different teams that Bo played on. And then obviously, um, the different sports. Could you give my readers a couple of the people who turned out to be like the gems for you? I feel like if, if I'm wrong about this, I apologize. Did you, was Ed Hearn a big part of one of your books? You, you have told me this in the past where like there are these sort of fringe major leaguers who like turn out to be like incredible sources for you as opposed to, yeah, I sat down with Nolan Ryan for 10 minutes. Oh yeah. Um, Ed Hearn was a backup catcher on the 86 Mets. Right. Use him for the bad guys. One, I've stayed in touch with Ed through the years. He's a really nice guy. Years later, it turns out he played with Bo with the Royals, and he. Was, well, I didn't know. Uh, there you go. That's yeah. awesome. And and there's a lot. You know, you do this long enough. There's a lot of like I've literally been being interviewed about Herschel Walker lately because Herschel Walker appears in the Bo Jackson book, the USFL book, and the Boys Will Be Boys. So you start building. Yeah. yeah. And you, you do have this crossover appeal. So Ed Hearn, just as an example. When Bo Jackson was with the Royals, he beat the living crap out of Kevin Seitzer, his teammate. I know. I remember. I was going to ask you about that that part of the book, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. So basically, you know, Bo was a could be a prickly guy, and Kevin Seitzer yeah. was the typical clubhouse gnat who would like bug. Yes, bug, he bug was you. kind of uh, instigating stuff. Definitely. And they were in the same hitting group. Bo never liked Kevin Seitzer that much, but one day Seitzer takes it too far. Bo Jackson grabs him by the throat pins him against the wall and he's basically saying don't you ever f with me again don't you ever and like guys like ed hearn ed hearn was in the hitting group so ed hearn is like oh man i was pulling his arm away and the different coaches came so then you interview different coaches and they're telling you about it, and you get these perspectives and um like i called a guy aj jimerson okay he was a linebacker with the raiders in 9091 norfolk state not a well-known guy and you think why would you call aj jimerson a linebacker in norfolk state I'm talking to AJ. He's really nice. He has these memories. And he's like, I didn't like Bo Jackson. Well, why didn't you like him? Because you couldn't approach him. Like, I could not go up to him. I was told, do not ask him for an autograph. Do not go up to him. Do not talk to him. So, you know, why would you call a linebacker, fringe linebacker from Norfolk State? Because he's going to have these very pronounced, profound memories. And the other thing is, AJ Jimerson will probably never run into Bo Jackson again. If you call Marcus Allen, who didn't talk for the book, well, Marcus Allen's going to run up into him at the Heisman House, or you know, at some commercial or some Raider reunion. 
Guys who have nothing to lose, and Ed Hearn and AJ Jimerson are hugely important. The the one of the cool things about this book that I thought is you put, I think it was at the end. If I'm right about this, tell me if I'm is it the end or the beginning? I think it was the end, where you you mentioned the conversation you had with Bo, mm-hmm. and you guys talked for like about thirty minutes. Is that fair to yeah. say? Okay, and while Bo Jackson didn't certainly like he wasn't giving you like these massive revelations, and he is not a um, you know, you two are not sitting down for eight hour interviews. Like that didn't happen. No. But he did something that's pretty fascinating that you often don't see from a subject of this. He said, like, I- I'm fine with you writing this book. Like, I know you're writing it. I'm fine with it, but our interaction is clearly gonna be short. And then you said, and this was really interesting. Like that really helped you, right? When you were talking to people who said, does Bo know about it? You can honestly say, yeah, he knows about it. I talked to him. You don't have to go into like how long you interviewed Bo. But that, like, I feel like that had to have opened up some doors for you as the writer. Yeah. And I'm sure that was unintentional on his part. You know, like he's driving to get his wife a salad. We're having a really nice conversation. He's like, I don't mind that you're doing this. I just don't want to help you, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, that's not bad. You know, I'll take that over, you know, go F yourself. Um and I always think like, as the process goes on, I don't think Bo Jackson is aware of the, oh, this guy's calling my teachers. Oh, this guy's calling. Because I know, I'm sure there were people who called Bo and was like, right, hey, exactly. this guy called me. And Bo was like, eh, you know, like I got, I felt some frostiness at some points. So I definitely did. I also got really lucky. Um, the great Dick Shap, you know, Jeremy Shap's. I want to ask you about this. Yep. Yep. Um, he wrote Bo Jackson's autobiography in 1990, Bo Knows Bo. And I didn't know this until I was deep in this book. He donated all his notes, all of his notes from the Bo Knows Bo reporting prospect project to the Auburn University Library. So I paid, I think, 250 bucks and they shipped me um, a drive with all the audio recordings, which is hours and hours and hours transcribed also. And the funny thing is I talked to Jeremy and Jeremy did much of the transcribing back in 1990 as a side job for his dad. So, and a lot of that stuff wasn't used. And it's an interesting, I had this talk with a lot of people, like a lot of it wasn't used because Bo didn't want it in his autobiography in 1990. Well, it's donated to a public university. I felt very comfortable using it all these years later. And I did. So there's material about the sites are fighted about getting, having a agent basically in college that he never talked about before stuff like that, that I felt comfortable using. I was just going to say that like that to me, you know, you so, I sometimes I've had um, documentarians on this podcast and like, you know, like if I'm trying to remember, like there's like a Maradona one, uh, where oh, yeah. the, the, uh, might've been Asif Capita. I apologize if I mispronounced his name, but like at a certain point, like he finds this treasure trove of like old Diego, like videos or recordings. And it's like, you know, in his mind, he's like, I'm, I have a film now, like this changed the entire game. So for you, when you discovered these recordings, this changes the entire game, right? This Your book becomes a totally different book once you realize these. 100%. Things. You're not just quoting a guy out of newspaper articles and his autobiography. Right. You're using quotes that have never been read before from the person's mouth that you're literally hearing on a recording. It's a huge, huge game changer for me. How, you know, uh, it's clear from reading the book that like Bo Jackson's um, star at Auburn, like is still pretty great. Like his mythology at Auburn still exists when you were, uh, I've never been to Auburn, Alabama. Um, can you give my listeners who've never been to Auburn, Alabama, just a sense of like, just um, even how many, you know, 40 plus years later, oh. like how big a star does this guy? So remain? I decided I was there. I thought I'm going to walk around and just ask a, a hundred random students. I literally had a notepad with me. I'm going to ask a hundred random students. 
do you know who Bo Jackson is? And that may sound like duh, simplistic. I think if you went to Texas right now and said, you know who Ricky Williams is, most people would know, but not everyone. If you said Earl Campbell, most would know. A lot of kids wouldn't though. USC, if you said, do you know who Ricky Bell is? Like very few would. Or, do you know who Marcus Allen? I think yeah. 99 out of 100 knew who Bo Jackson was 40 years after he played his last game at Auburn. Like that's crazy. And the one who didn't was a, she was a freshman, 18-year-old freshman from Alabama named Mia. She And she's like, I think I heard the name, but I'm really more into soccer. And I was like, that's cool. So. <laughs> why, why do you think that is? Why do you think he resonates still in that, at least in that, in that, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, college football programs have had stars. Why is this guy resonating still? For I think it's place? the exact same reason why the two most famous people in Georgia are Jimmy Carter and Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker hasn't played a football game for the university of Georgia in literally 40 years, but him and Bo played at these time periods when college football players truly became icons, cultural icons, because you weren't watching every game, you know, because you weren't seeing like right now, um, I don't know. What's the guy's name? The Alabama quarterback, young Bryce young, Bryce young, he's a famous right. college football player, but it's not like when you were Bo or Herschel or Flutie and you came up and everyone knew about you and you were on the cover of sports illustrated and 4 million people were reading about you. Those guys were iconic and they were in the South and they just were supersonic heroes. Right. And you might not have known about them in high school and they just sort of all of a sudden appeared on our Nobody knew about Bo right? Jackson. Where, where today, I'm saying like, you know, everybody knows who Arch Manning right. is, right? If you're a college football fan, like right. you know him. Right. And you'll know about 17 other similar quarterbacks freshman year. Back right. then, you knew there was Bo, you knew there was Herschel. The... um. I'm always struck with Bo. He finished his career in 1994 with the California Angels. That season gets cut short by the strike. He retires at 32. To think about a star now, Jeff, retiring at 32 in baseball is like essentially yep. unheard of. Um, from your reporting, like how bad was it like injury-wise for him? Like was he, he was really at the end basically? You know, so, him? you know, he had, he had a hip replacement in 1992. So he stopped 91. He plays his last game of football. He's tackled awkwardly in the Bengals game by Kevin Walker, has this horrible hip injury, tries to come back just by working around the hip injury, plays briefly in 91. It doesn't go well, spring training 92, has a full hip replacement. The thing that's crazy and is not discussed enough, he basically was given your grandma's hip. Like it was a it was a plastic hip with metal screws, right? And when you would move the hip a lot, the metal would rub against the plastic and shards of plastic would come off in your body. Like it was a really archaic way of replacing a hip. He comes back 93. He's a part-time DH with the White Sox. He hits a game-winning home run against my former mayor, my, my former neighbor in Mayo Pack, New York, Dave Fleming, pitching for the Mariners. Hits a home run to take him to the, uh, to the playoffs. Um, he doesn't come back the next year. He's playing with the Angels. He's, it's sad. It's like I said, it's the strike year. He's hobbling around the outfield. They actually keep a stretcher in the dugout in case of medical emergency for Bo Jackson, just in case his leg just blows out. And at the end of the year, I'll tell you something beautiful, though. He hadn't stolen a base that year. It's their last game before the strike. They all know it's their last game. It's at Angel Stadium. And Bill Bavese, the GM, told me the story. He's looking over the field after the game ended. During that game, uh, Bo Jackson stole a base on his own, like just decided to steal a base on his own. Game's over. Lights are dimmed. Bill Bavese sees Bo Jackson run onto the field just in his underwear, no shirt, take second base out of the moorings and run back into the dugout. And that was the last time he saw Bo Jackson on the field. He wanted his keepsake stealing second base that last time. I love that. Uh, for all his amazing athletic achievements, 
What do you think his best year was? What's his best oh, sporting year in football? 89 was amazing. And first of all, 89, he did he was marvelous. He was the best player. He was an MVP candidate early in the year. 89 is the year he led off the All-Star game with a home run. And 89 is the year. I just want to say real quick, 89, Nike is premiering the Bo Nose ad, the big one with Bo Diddley in the 80 All-Star game. Yeah. They pay for ad space, fourth inning of that game. All the Nike executives are watching the All-Star game at Mickey Mantle's restaurant in Manhattan. Bo is leading off that game. Tony La Russa decides for the moment, I'm having the least practical leadoff hitter of all time, Bo Jackson. Second pitch of the game, Ronald Reagan, Vince Scully in the booth for the first inning. Second pitch of the game, Oh yeah, Rick Russell awesome. throws it. Everyone's watching. The game is getting crazy ratings. Rick Russell throws a crap slider. Bo hits his home run center field, like beautiful into the batter's eye over Eric Davis's head. At Mickey Mantle's restaurant in Manhattan, the Nike executives are losing their shit because they're jumping up and down, slapping high fives, hugging, because that ad is about to premiere and Bo knows is about to just blow up. And now it's a freaking moment where Bo Jackson, like just as a, as a phenom, phenom, like phenom, phenom, that was the moment. What is he doing now? How does he spend his days? He's a grandpa. He has uh, multiple businesses. He's, you know, works in food and in, in food distribution, has these plants. Lives in suburban Chicago, uh, shovels his own driveway, drives a Ford truck. He's been married for almost 40 years. Uh, paid for a lot of the funerals for the Uvalde victims. Yes, I read that. Does a, chari- does a charity race uh, bike event every year for Alabama, Bo Bikes Bama. The beauty of Bo Jackson, and I truly mean this, you're never going to see him on TV saying, I was better than Derrick Henry, or I should have been Mike Trout. He did his thing. He doesn't regret it. He doesn't look back and say, I could have, should have, would have. He's very content with his place in history. And it's to me, it's a beautiful way to go out. Do you, um, I mean, you've done a lot of these, so you either heard from people or not. Like, is it important to you to one day hear from Bo Jackson about what he thinks of this book? I mean, it'd be cool. It'd be cooler if he likes it. I think he will like it, whether he admits that or not. I think he will like it. Um, a lot of these guys from that era, and I 1 million percent understand it feel like people take advantage of them, feel like someone's coming in just for the money, feels like they just want to use my name. I totally get it. I understand that. To me, and I really mean this, I just want people to remember Bo Jackson. Like I want people to remember who this guy was, that he's the greatest athlete who ever lived. And kids my age and kids your kids' age, like they don't remember him. They don't know that much about Bo Jackson. And I think it's important that they do. So you, uh, this has been a crazy year for you, Jeff, like a crazy 24 month stretch. Your, your Lakers book, um, becomes a very, very popular, uh, television show. And I think heading to its second year, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so yeah. that's awesome. Um, you have this Bo book out, uh, and I, I expect it to do well. Um, do you have ideas already for what you want to do next? Or are you going to, I don't know, you're going to sit on a beach somewhere in Maui and just kick back for a little bit. I'm actually uh, I'm undecided at this point, but I'm I'm trying to trying to work on a podcast project with a friend of mine, and um, just trying to think of different ideas. You know, the thing about having something happen on TV is all of a sudden you're like, hmm, maybe I should try doing something. Maybe I should try writing a script, or maybe I should try. So it's kind of a fun little. It's actually a fun little time. All right, it is. The you don't you shouldn't give the idea away, uh, but you know, you I do like you you have a podcast that's sort of similar to this in that you'll have one on one conversations with people who work within the sort of capital S capital M sports media space. Yeah. Um, and I've, I like, I've, I've listened to many of them. And I like that. I think, uh, I, I think it's very clear how much you enjoy the sort of the business and process of writing and reporting. And that's very clear on 
when you have those conversations. So I, I don't know what your future is with that, but I hope you continue that at least in some form. Don't you feel, maybe you don't like, I feel like, um, you and I got really lucky, right? We worked at Sports Illustrated yes, very. prime time. It was great. We were around some awesome writers who were really magnanimous people too. The Jack McCallums of the world. Yeah, and the Scott Alex Price, Morgan. Tim Layden. Exactly. Steve Rush. And I remember just listening to stories Steve would tell. And I feel like as you become a little bit of an elder statesman, which sucks, but as you become it's an sad. elder statesman, yeah. like I just remember how those guys treated me. And I remember, and that made an impact on me. And I'm not saying I'm of their caliber in any way, shape or form, but like, I want to be nice to younger writers and I want to help younger writers and I want them to love this field the way I do, even if it's as more flawed than it used to be. You yeah, know? I, and you do the same thing. I, you do the same thing with your podcast. You really do. It's it's a service. I feel like well, it's a service. Yeah, I mean, yeah. With, I mean, like, you know, it's just going to sort of come off like self-serving. I'm trying not to, but I, I mean this 100%. And this is one of the reasons why I will probably not be writing sports media for much longer, just to be blunt. The the thing that I now like the most isn't necessarily talking to like famous person X, which always will get more downloads and always will be more attention. But it is very cool when you could like talk to a producer behind the scenes or some graphics person or somebody who nobody has ever heard of and who did like really awesome work and you get to like use whatever small form you have to highlight that. That is far and away like the best thing about having any kind of podcast like this. It, no, I mean, I don't want to use him as a name because he was he was a really great interview and I enjoyed it. But like, it's very different for me to talk to someone like Bob Costas today than it would have been like 20 years ago. Like, it's just, it's like, I don't feel the same about it. But yeah, you're right. Like, it is very cool when you can, and in your case, you've highlighted a lot of younger writers. And, um, and that's cool. If you can just give somebody a forum who doesn't have one at the moment like that and and let people know about his or her work. The other thing is, don't you find this like, um, I remember being around those writers like Jack McCallum, especially early on. Right. And being like, holy cow, that's Jack McCallum. Holy cow, that's Alex Wolf. Holy cow, that's so-and-so. And suddenly you find yourself, I'm not saying anyone's saying, holy cow, that's Jeff Perlman, but you meet people who are like, oh, I know your book, or I know blah, blah. And like, it's all nonsense. You, you as you age, you don't think of yourself as anything different than you were. You know what I mean? Like people think you do, but you don't like you still, I'm still scrapping and I still just really want to write. And I love doing this. And people will be like, Oh my God, you really want me on your podcast. And I'm like, why wouldn't I want you on my podcast? Like we're writers. This is cool. You know? Yeah. It's I'm not, I was never starstruck. So it's not, and I think you, you sort I was. of, yeah, no, I know you were, you look at those differently. So I, I didn't, it was interesting. Like I never necessarily looked at like Bill Knack or Scott Price or Frank DeFort. I check, fact checked a Frank DeFort story once, which was very cool. It's and and a couple of Gary Smith's ones. So I was certainly in like awe of their talent. Like I, I mean, these were people who I could never emulate as writers. But I, I wouldn't say I was starstruck. Like I, I would sort of mock Scott Price the way I would mock like my brother or something like that. Where I will say I'm totally with you. What was intimidating was literally SI. And when I first got there, I was like, wow. Like, I can't believe I'm working at the same place as, like, all these famous people. Like, I, it was total imposter syndrome. Like, this is ridiculous that I am in this on the same, like, address list. You know what I mean? We used to get those address lists, like those multicolor address oh, lists. Yeah. We had everybody's, like, uh, phone number and stuff. Like, that was, for me, like, wow. That was, like, my wow moment. It was less about the individual and more like, I can't believe I'm part of this, like, very famous American institution. Totally. But then the funny thing is, as you get older, you just realize that like Bill Colson was the editor of SI when we were there. Right. And I remember I, I got a bunch of people from SI to autograph a copy of the magazine for a friend of mine who's a huge fan. 
And I got Bill Cook, gave it to Joan, his his assistant. Yeah. To give Joan Rosinski, one of the great people on earth. One of the best. Yeah. And yeah. I got, I was like, do you think Bill could sign this magazine? And then you realize like, Bill is just like me and you. Like he's got his concerns in life and he's going about his life and he has his kids and we're all just like trying to get through. Right. You know, it's all. Yeah. yeah, the only difference is Bill Colson once beat Jimmy Connors uh, when he was a teenager, I believe, in tennis. Me and you have not done that. Bill Colson came to my house once. Really? Played, wow. played me in ping pong. Played me in ping pong. He must have beat you. And I was yeah. good at ping pong. He just—it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. It is crazy to think about the place that we once. And again, listen, SI is still doing very good work, and there's a lot of people we know there, like Wertheim, who's great. It, Canella, it, it, it is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing that once upon a time, and I would say even before me and you worked there, Jeff, that like literally that was the most famous sports like entity in the country. Yeah, probably more of the '70s and the '80s, but it's it's still crazy to me to think about that. Once upon a time, like if you are on the cover of that magazine, like you were. Th- incredibly famous that week like it meant something oh yeah um, and, also, and even even as big as espn is now uh, there's not really anything like the world is so oversaturated i don't know if something like that exists anymore i think what sports illustrated had that espn does in the same way is it felt regal you know what i mean like it felt regal being in the pages of sports illustrated felt regal to people being on the cover felt regal being on sports center is cool but it felt regal being yeah. inside. But you know what? Cool ultimately probably won the day in terms of advertising and money and, and everything else, right? And now ES- no offense to ESPN, but ESPN is now trying to get – they're trying to capture cool because now they're the establishment. And it's almost impossible to be cool if you're the establishment. I mean, I think if you want to know cool, you need to listen to you and I having a conversation. Yeah, no, that's no, no, that's <laughs> no one is thinking that. Anyway, Jeff Perlman is the author of The Last Folk Hero. The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Uh, it is another one of his uh, his books where he puts his heart and soul into it. Like uh, like I said on this podcast, 700 interviews. Um, it's really, really well done. It's just a really quick, good read. And I think it'll do well. And again, um, you can buy it on Amazon and wherever else you get books. But also, I would recommend following Jeff on his social media platforms, especially if you're like in this business, because he's you will probably be able to steal an idea from him that he probably stole elsewhere in terms of like uh, like how to promote. And the one thing I've always appreciated about Jeff is, you know, for many, many years, there was this thought that like, you know, journalists aren't, aren't supposed to promote, you're not supposed to do this. It's, it's all bullshit. Like if you don't push you, like what you love and care about, like no one else will. You agree with that, Jeff, right? Of course. And I, I don't think, um, I'll never like, we were just talking about this. I would never pose for a picture with an athlete. I'm not asking athletes for autographs. I'm not, right. there are strict journalism lines. I strongly, strongly believe in and I hate the decaying of that. But I think you should, if you write a book, you have to get behind your book and you have to promote it. And you have to, I reach out to you about being on this podcast. Yeah. You have to do it. You have to do it. Exactly. Well said. Mm-hmm. All right. Jeff Perlman, everyone. The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Hit it up on Amazon or any uh, or any old school bookstore that uh, will be in your neighborhood. Jeff, I wish you the best of luck with this book. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, as always. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Back in the studio, my thanks to Jeff Perlman for popping on. If you like these kind of podcasts, head to the archives page. We've uh, put out a lot, certainly in the last couple of weeks. Uh, World Cup preview with uh, longtime soccer journalist Grant Wall. Had a conversation with Adnan Virk and Adam Amin on their careers and leaving ESPN. Jamel Hill came on to talk about her uh, new memoir and her life at ESPN. For that, a podcast with author James Andrew Miller. For some media talk, Bob Costas was on this podcast on October 10th. If you like these conversations, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. Um, happy to read those notes 
on air. Maybe I should start reading the notes that if someone's blasting me, it's also kind of funny too. Uh, I don't get many of them, but you know, every now and then, someone comes off, drops the grenade, and, uh, and there you go. But obviously, in all seriousness, the way uh, this podcast continues is uh, is for the reviews to be good, people to obviously download and listen, and uh, and for the production company to want to continue, which is Cadence 13, and I thank them. For their help, as always, thank you to Patrick Antonetti, my excellent producer, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.